I had 600 followers on Twitter and that was crushing it. Like I was, I had made it on Twitter. (laughs) And so there was a group of us that wrote these jokes and we spent all day thinking of funny things. So essentially I was writing headlines all day. Licia Morelli is a copywriter for successful entrepreneurs who have already found their voice and need someone to take it over. This may sound like a standard copywriter's pitch, but in her case, it's true. As a former professional psychic, she has the uncanny ability to read you just by saying hi. And it all started online. So I was doing this free tarot reading and somebody said, could you do a full reading for me? I will pay you. And I thought, oh, oh, I didn't even have to ask for the sale. This is amazing. In this interview, Licia shares how she went from poor Twitter copywriter to radio psychic to becoming the president of Kate Northrup's seven-figure online business, ultimately letting go of everything that was getting in her way and coming home to her true calling, copywriting. On a personal note, the more I learned about Licia before we sat down on the interview, the more I realized I had to be very careful in our conversation. I couldn't let her get a psychic reading on me and steer the conversation based on what she thought I needed to hear or I wanted her to express. And I called her on it in the first few seconds of our interview. You're going to see it. My name is Ina Koveni. I'm an online presence expert for online coaches. And today's interview had to be cut down for the podcast. In the full version, you can find our wild tangent into her life as a radio psychic. And I even asked her if she could read me right there in the interview. To watch that version, just go to theglobalphenomenon.com uncut and get a copy of the full version of this interview and the links to all other uncut interviews we've had so far. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're grocery shopping, make sure to get some of those Le Petit de Collier chocolate cookie thingies because they're my favorite. And head over to the review section and leave a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's an interview with the copywriter who serendipitously found her place in the world, Licia Morelli. This is The Global Phenomenon with Ina Coveney, the podcast where the self-made teach you to stop waiting to be discovered and prepare to be found. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the amazing Licia Morelli. Hi, Licia. How are you today? Hi, Ina. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Alicia, I'm super excited to have you. And um, I introduced you a little bit earlier so people know who you are. But I'm going to tell you, I need to start this interview by saying something. In my research of you, I noticed something and you need to tell me, Ina, you're completely off base or you need to tell me, okay, Ina, I think you got that right. You are an incredibly intuitive person. This is a given. I didn't need to do a whole ton of research to find that out. But because of that, I noticed that in every interview, you very much mold yourself to the person who is interviewing you. Wherever they want to take it and wherever they want to go, you go with them. It's like you almost knew uh, exactly what is it that they wanted to talk about and you focused in on that. So it, in the end, every interview was extremely different and it showed a completely different side of you. I'm like, 
she's adapting. She's adapting to every interview. So uh, when we just got on the phone, which was like 30 seconds ago, I'm like, I don't want to let her adapt to me. I want to know the real Lysia. So I, not to say that you weren't real, I'm saying like, you are very, very good at that. So first of all, I'm going to say, you have the opportunity to tell me now, Ina, you're completely off the mark. (laughs) Tell me if that resonates at all. Oh my gosh, Ina, you are good. You are good. I mean, I don't even know what to say. This is such a... (laughs) Yes, you're right, Ina. You're right. I'm extremely intuitive. I had, oh, I don't even like want to go into it, but I did have a psychic business for many years, which is how I learned, you know, the online world. And yes, I can very much adapt to where an interview wants to go and how they want to do it. And that said, I mean, yes, I am showing my true self, but it is refreshing to have somebody who can kind of call me out on that because then I, then I can't hide, Ina. I can't hide. You, got, I, you have I, my number. I am so glad that we just got that completely out in the clear and out of the way because I want to know the whole you. And the last thing that I want to do is to pigeonhole you into your psychic background, into your writing uh, experience. I want to know the whole Lysia. So if I were to ask you, who is Lysia? What would you answer to that? I would say that I am a person who just really wants to be joyful in the world and I want community and I think the things that I choose to do create joy and community and I think my aim in working in the world and in my career no matter what I've done whether that's sales or writing or copywriting whatever it is I've always just aimed to connect I think that's really what it is. Like I always chose things that would help me connect with other people. And that was super important for me because who doesn't love community? I mean, I think there are people who probably don't, but I love community and I love connecting and I love creating relationships. And so for me, I think when somebody says like, who are you? I, I think about, wow, that's such a great question. Cause it's, it's more about the feeling, which is like, a feeling of joy in community. And then I kind of look at that and I like my, my mind starts to go like, whoo, reversing. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've always just wanted to have community, which is why I've always had relationships, which is why I've always done the jobs I've done. So I mean, I think that's a great answer. And now we're going to start to dissect things. But first, now that we got that out of the way, And we can take a a clean, deep breath because now we know how things are going to go. We're just going to be looking for for Lysia. We want to get to really know you. And um, so why don't we start with what I always ask in the beginning, which is who do you serve and what do you do for them right now? So I am a copywriter. Um, I'm a top tier copywriter for some of our online marketing industry's top brands, both service and product based. Um, And I am a writer of children's books as well as magazine articles and interviews. So I, I have the umbrella that is writer, but I am a copywriter as well as other kinds of writing as well. How do people work with you? What kinds of clients do you work with right now? 
So right now I work with people in the online marketing industry who have service and product based brands. So, you know, I've worked with people like Kate Northrup, Colette Baron reed John Holland, um, Tarzan Kay. So just like everyone who's out there doing their thing, generally speaking, what I usually tell people, Ina, is the clients that I work with have written copy for their businesses. They've done it well. They've made great money and have built a huge business. And now they are too busy to write the copy that they're so good at. So then they call me and know that I can collaborate with them and write with them so that they can write the things they want to write, but the rest of it's taken care of. So that's generally. It's got to be really helpful to be the kind of intuitive being that you are. So you can kind of put yourself in their shoes and be able to speak in their, in their voice. Is that something you find easy to do? Yes. I think just as you were talking about (laughs) in my interviewing process, it's the same. I, I think that's something that's my secret sauce is that it's very easy for me to capture somebody's voice because I go into the copywriting day that they hire me for or their retainer. And I can kind of embody that energy that they're bringing to the table and chameleon into that so that I can most effectively write for them. At which point did you start to realize you have this knack for writing? Now, and I'm talking like from, from age zero to like high school level, like when did you start to notice this knack you have? So it was in the fourth grade. Actually, um, I we had this contest that we were um, asked to do, and it was to write about somebody in history that we found interesting. And I chose to write about Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. And I come from a family of, you know, my dad's an accountant, my mom's a teacher. Like, no, there's no writers or artists happening. Like, this was very practical, you know, um, careers that everybody had. And so for me, writing was this sort of, elusive, like, wow, people do this. They write books, you know, but I loved books. I loved reading. And then in the fourth grade, I write this essay. And I remember my teacher coming over and saying, you, you won third place. And I was like, third place, like what? And she handed me a little ribbon. I mean, it was just like, you know, it's the eighties. So like nobody really made a big (laughs) deal about anything, but she hands me a ribbon and I was so proud of myself. I remember exactly what I was wearing. And I sort of stood there in awe of this experience of not only being able to write about somebody who I admired and thought was just so incredible, but also then to be able to be recognized for that. And I knew at that point that that was something that, that was maybe not happening to everybody. And then, you know, later that year, it was the fourth grade still, I said to my mom, you know, I want to be a writer when I grow up, I want to write. And she was like, that's great. You know, I have no idea how this is going to play out. But it was just something that became known to me that early. Mm -hmm. And I think there was something as in a part of me that thought, you know, there's, it felt right and true. And, you know, then, you know, life goes on and we become adults and, you know, we got to refine ourselves. But at eight years old, it felt right. So So because I want to tackle the whole of you, uh, you also have this highly intuitive part of you, which like you mentioned, you're like, oh, I don't even want to get into it. It's like my (laughs) psychic business. I mean, you were on the radio, like you were the resident psychic for a radio station for a while. So this this is part of your history. And I I want to get there because um, there is, I know there are people listening right now who 
may be very afraid of reaching into their intuitive selves because they believe that to be in business, you have to be much more pragmatic. And I, I definitely want to give them a good lesson about really stepping into that. And we'll get there. But first, I want to see if at, at which point, like I said, like high school back, right? Yeah. In that era, did you start to notice your intuitive abilities? So, yeah. So I really was always very interested in tarot cards and the metaphysical stuff. Um, you know, when I was younger, I when my grandfather died, who I was very close to. Um, I'm sorry he, to hear. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So he he died when I was young. He I was probably 10. And he had melanoma, which I'll come back to, but he and I were very close and he died. And then I sort of set up a shrine to him in my room. So there was like a table. I mean, mind you, I'm 10. There's a table. There's a, a ceramic statue that my grandmother had made of him golfing. You know, there's a candle. There's some things. And my mom said she would walk by my room. And I mean, I was a highly creative person anyway, but this was a little different because she would walk by my room and listen to me talking to the statue. And she would think to herself, there's something, something is different about this. I don't think this is like an imaginary friend. And so there just was this sort of felt sense, like I can't even really name it but a felt sense of other worldliness, like spirit, you know, the spiritual aspect of myself um, was really in tune. And I think spiritual selves are very intuitive. And so when we're connected there, we begin to trust it and believe it. Yeah. And then in high school and college, you know, I would pull the cards for my friends and I wouldn't have any idea what I was doing, Ina. Like I would be like, here's the sun. Here's how amazing your life is going to be. But then I would say something to them and they'd say, how did you know that? And I would go, I don't know. (laughs) We'd all freak out. And then, you know, it would be all this like experience. And I would always, you know, see things out of the corner of my eye. So I knew there was something I was picking up on. And it really wasn't until um, probably 2008, when I had had, I was, I had had my son and he was a baby and, and I started to really look into more of the intuitive sort of arts. And, you know, at the same time I was writing jokes on Twitter and that's a very intuitive process. So like, I started to see these two worlds combine around like being super interested in the psychic senses and the intuitive senses. And also seeing how that like out of thin air, I was pooling creative ideas. Cause I think they go hand in hand. And so what, what really happened at that point was I had time on my hands cause I had just had my son and I was really interested in learning more and practicing those skills. So I started taking classes and, you know, I took tarot classes and I took psychic reading classes and I started to actually identify. And I realized like, Oh, these visions that I would have in my mind, like these pictures I would see, or like these little things that I would hear in my ear, those weren't just my imagination. That was actually messaging that then I could apply to my life. It took a long time to refine, but it happened. (laughs) Yeah. In the meantime, I mean, you fast forward a little bit to 2008, that's after college. Right. But in the meantime, after you graduate high school, you go to college. What did you go to college for? Psychology and religion. (laughs) Why religion? We're starting to get the psychology connection. Why religion? 
So I just felt like it was such a great, um, it was such a great addition to sort of psychology in and of itself. I've always been, you know, I grew up Catholic. I went to a Buddhist university at Nairobi University. And so spirituality was always a part of who I was. So I just figured I might as well learn about it because if it was so much a part of who I am, I should probably apply it in some way. And it was great. Yeah. What did you think you were going to do with your degree, regardless of what you ended up doing? What did you think was going to happen after college? You know, that's a great question because I had no idea. It, I was one of those people, Ina, that I started on a trajectory for college and then I took time off and then I transferred and I transferred and I transferred. Like I was not on a linear path. And so for me, just finishing college was great because I was like, finally, I've done this thing. I'm done. I have this degree I like. I went to a school I loved. Um, I had no idea. I think I had, you know, I had a lot of, um, entitlement after I graduated from college. Cause I had had jobs like okay. that paid well before I graduated. But instead what happened was, is that I ended up getting a job at a nonprofit. And then I just sort of allowed myself to work there and, and move up from there. And yeah. I didn't really have a strategy or a vision for my career at that point, I just thought, well, I'm doing good in the world. So I'll just keep doing this. And it works for a time. So you have a job, you are not now kind of back on a traditional path, right? Oh, got my college degree. I am working. Did you like working at the nonprofit? How long were you there for? What did that feel like? Yeah. So I loved my job at the nonprofit. The job that I worked at was for um, adults with the, with developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. So we worked in group homes and then I actually ended up managing the group homes and then working in the administrative offices. And so I really liked it because I loved the clients that we worked with. You know, the residents of these houses were such delights. Again, joy in community. Here we are. <laughs> like, right. um, so they were great. And I loved the staff and, and it was it was a really positive impact in the world. And so I feel like it was so fulfilling because I was getting the needs met of, you know, helping being, you know, joyful. You had to have a sense of humor working here. I mean, there was always shenanigans happening and then, mm-hmm. you know, really creating community for, you know, the staff and the the residents and the clients and, and things like that. And so I think that what happened during those years is I got a lot of really good experience running an organization. I mean, I had experience with budgets and hiring and strategy and growth. I mean, we were growing at a rapid rate. So I, it really was a foundational place for me to learn a lot of things early on in my career that I don't know that a lot of people actually were able to learn. Right. At the same time, where is your writing self and where is your intuitiveness psychic self? Yeah, so that that wasn't really happening. <laughs> so that wasn't really happening. And I think ultimately, you know, I realized that that wasn't happening. And so I knew I needed a change, but I didn't know what that needed to be. And what happened then is that I had I had my son and for the two years or or a year and a half that I was home, two years that I was home, I really dug into the writing again. That's when I started writing again. And I had all this space because, you know, we, 
I continued in that we were what's called a host home for a woman with developmental disabilities. So she lived with us. So my job was to run the household with her in it. And yeah. so that was great because it gave me time to be at home and it gave me time to write. And that's, that's when I started writing jokes on Twitter. Right. <laughs> and then how did writing jokes on Twitter turn into you doing writing more seriously? So what happened was, is that, and I, this story always makes me laugh because I remember it much like I remember fourth grade getting my ribbon. I remember this phone call I had with my mother and I had been writing jokes on Twitter for some time. And this was back when Twitter was still very beta. It wasn't what it is today. I had 600 followers on Twitter and that was crushing it. Like I was, I had made it on Twitter. <laughs> and so there was a group of us that wrote these jokes and we spent all day thinking of funny things. So essentially I was writing headlines all day, funny headlines. So my mom called and she goes, if only there was a way that you could make money doing this on the internet. And I was like, I know, wouldn't that be amazing? And so it was so ironic that like, I had no idea that there were these titans of industry starting to grow these huge businesses and, you know, online marketing was a thing, but I was copywriting nonetheless. And what happened was, is that through those jokes, I got published in my first book. So I was part of a compilation of joke writers on mm -hmm. Twitter and that was a credit. And again, it was one of those moments where I thought, wow, you know, there's really something to this. Maybe I should apply what I'm writing to the work, you know, like maybe to start a business. I started to think like, maybe I should start a business, but I wasn't sure what that was. And then the next year I got a job in sales and I've always been a salesperson. So part of my job at the nonprofit was to sell, you know, our services before that I worked in retail. Like I've always been a salesperson. And so I got a job as a salesperson at Phil and Ted's and mountain buggy, which is a stroller company. Nice. <laughs> and they're really irreverent. Like they are known for being irreverent. So it was sort of the perfect place for somebody who had been writing jokes on Twitter to land a job as a desk salesperson. because I was selling essentially from email. Yeah. I would get on the phone sometimes, but I started to then become a copywriter salesperson, not only through customer service, but also through emails with the clients. And then I also started at that time, it sort of compounded itself. I started a little business called two cups tarot and that was my first online business <laughs> okay so what was two cups tarot about so two cups tarot was about read like tarot readings for people and psychic readings it was really more my first foray into the psychic reading business so I didn't still didn't have like a lot of online strategy, but I was starting to put the puzzle pieces together from all the sales experience that I had and now all the copywriting experience I was getting. And I was like, okay, well, if I combine these two things, perhaps I might sell something on the internet. Right. And I remember the first day I sold a tarot reading, I thought I had won the lottery. I think right. it was like $30. <laughs> like I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But what I realized was I had been on my Facebook page and I had been doing these free, this was back when Facebook pages were like, there was no algorithm. It was great. Right. You still do a lot of stuff and get a lot of traction. So I was doing this free tarot reading and somebody said, could you do a full reading for me? I will pay you. And I thought, oh, oh, 
I didn't even have to ask for the sale. This is amazing. What? Something about this offer, this freebie really worked. I didn't have a newsletter list. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have all the components yet, but the thread was that the copywriting, that's what was doing it. That's, that's the thing that was always working for me. It was always selling for me. Yeah. And so that was the birth of my first psychic business and two cups tarot, like over the course of the next year, I, I was working at my sales job and then moonlighting in the evenings as a psychic. <laughs> okay. So, um, here you are, you know, starting this psychic business, but, um, you didn't even really start to do this online until you found out about B-School in 2014. So can you tell us like what happened between this moment that you're starting this business and when B-School kind of came into your life, what happened in that span? Because I feel like it's like, I feel like it's like eight years uh, in between. What happened there? It was so much struggle. Like there was so Mm. much struggle. I didn't know what I was doing. I just was like the vast sea of the internet was so confounding to me. It was so confusing. I didn't know how to like take all this knowledge that I had and put it into place. And so from two, what happened was, is I started Two Cups Tarot that was probably 2010, 2011. And so for two years, I sort of plodded along. I got a job as a psychic on Psychic Source, which is like a phone psychic. So like talk about really taking it to to the nth degree, you know, like, so I got a job at Psychic Source. I was answering calls and I was doing that. I was doing private readings. And what happened was slowly I was just starting to build word of mouth and that was working. My friends would hire me for parties and, you know, so I was building it organically. And then that, then in 2012, we moved to Maine. So in August of 2012, we had this big move. And so I had to kind of, I was still doing the work and actually it was very helpful to meet people because people were like, there's the psychic, you know, and we're in a small town now. So it was like really funny because I became notable even before people knew me. So that was, and you moved from Colorado, right? From Colorado to Maine. Yep. So we moved cross country. So it was just one of those times where there was like about six months where I was still building my business, but also trying to settle into this new arena. And then, you know, that was over 2000, then I'm working again locally and I'm still trying to figure out this internet aspect of it. Like it's working, but not in the way that I needed it to. And then in 2014, that's when I took B-School. And that's, that's when my business went from, you know, I think it was a thousand dollars a month that I was sort of piecing together to five to $7,000 a month, like immediately. As soon as I had those puzzle pieces that Marie gives in B-School, I was like, boom, here we go. And like refining my copywriting. And that's really what, what really helped. So those couple of years when we first moved to Maine were just sort of a blur. Cause I was trying to do the business. I was doing it locally. Um, but I was, you know, we had just moved. So those were, I was like, it was a hobby at that point. Like right. I wasn't fully invested. And then I was again in 2014. At which point does melanoma hit? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my, it's funny. Cause I mentioned my grandfather, um, who died of melanoma. And so when I was diagnosed with melanoma, it was, it was pretty scary. It was, it was really upending, but there were so many good things that came out of it. Um, so what happened was, is I, I, so I take B school and 
I love telling this story. Our friend, Laura Belgray, plucked a comment about copywriting out of obscurity in these comment fields. And then she and I became pen pals while I was sick. And I have to say, like during that time, it was so incredible because I was so sick and I met some of my greatest friends in the online world. You know, I met Laura, I met Gina Gomez, like, and we were writing to each other about these businesses that we had and, and it helped refine copy. And, and I started to really remember, like, you know, I do love writing. So I'm so sick. I'm, you know, I've had three surgeries. I have to do chemo, you know, and sort of my world got upended. So right as this business of being a psychic took off, I started to go inward and realize I was leaving a big part of myself on the table. I wasn't writing. I was only doing this other stuff. And I wasn't, I was realizing that maybe just, maybe because you can do something, just because you can do something doesn't mean you always should. And that's where I came to with my business. And in 2015, um, I closed my business. I, I will never forget it. I was at a speaking event and I came to this realization that I just didn't want to be doing it. I didn't yeah. want to be talking about it. I didn't want to be teaching it. It wasn't what I was supposed to be doing and I'll never forget. I, and I think other entrepreneurs can appreciate this. I put my head down on the hotel desk and I just cried. I was like, I am doing the wrong thing. I'm in the yeah. wrong business. And then I was like thoroughly confused. So I had just recovered from cancer. I'm closing my business, shuttering the doors. And I just didn't know what was going to be next. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then what? And then I got hired as a copywriter. <laughs> so I got hired as a copywriter. So I was doing, I was writing copy. Well, I had become a B-school mentor. So I was doing that in 2015. I was like, sort of now I close my business and I'm like, Oh, what am I going to do now? So I get hired as a B-school mentor. So that was great. I was able to help B-schoolers go through the program and, you know, support them in the comment field. And then I, people knew me as a copywriter. They knew I could write copy. And so I got hired by Colette Baron reed as a copywriter. And then Kate Northrup found out that I was copywriting and she hired me as a copywriter on like a couple of project basis things. So I started working as a copywriter and I didn't even know to self, Ina, like to all the people listening, when something comes easily, do not ignore it. You don't need to make it harder than it needs to be. Like I should have known then that I didn't even advertise my copywriting services, but I was getting hired. That should have told me something. Yeah. <laughs> so. And since then, you were copywriting for Kate Northrup. She realizes that, wait, you have a lot more experience in management and strategy than they ever thought. And she goes and promotes you to president of her <laughs> company, which is a, a, that's a jump. That is, that is incredible. How did you feel about it when that happened? I mean... I think I was just as stunned. Like I was, you know, it, it was a very organic thing. Kate, Mike and I, Kate, her husband, 
Mike and I, we all work really well together. So we would be strategizing and brainstorming anyway, by way of just the copy and things like that. But what we started to realize was like, oh, okay, there, there could be some shifts and Licia could manage. And so this is where my, you know, my experience at the nonprofit and managing came in and I was like, great. And then all my strategy with online marketing had come in with my, you know, my past business experience and, you know, writing for startups and writing for all these clients over the course of, you know, a few years. And so what happened was, is that we were in a meeting one day and Kate looked at me and she goes, well, I just, I don't know. I just feel like Lisa should be running things. And I was like, I mean, I will do it. <laughs> so it was such a gift because during that time, Kate was building Origin, her, her membership. So we, we built it from scratch. You know, it was this idea in her mind and, and, and we built it out and, you know, being a part of that sort of extension of her business. And then getting processes in place and, and helping her grow from six to seven figures. I mean, that was like so exciting. And I learned so much. And what it taught me too, is that, um, watching business owners, you know, like Kate who do things so well and so beautifully, it was so inspiring to me for my own stuff when it was time for me to finally like get my act together and get back you know, as a solo person, but watching her, watching the processes we did, you know, watching how we built out all these parts of the company, it, I learned so much in those three years. And I was so grateful for that experience just because it really helped me delve even deeper into strategy for online business, into the copywriting, into idea generation and execution. Yeah. And you ended up doing a ton there with launches, with the copywriting, with like really getting that company up and running. And then uh, you were there for a couple of years. Now you have your own baby, right? Now you're doing your own copywriting for exactly the client that you want. So how does it feel to have gone? We just went through the entire journey of your life, right? (laughs) In just a very little bit of time. So how does it feel now to have landed here where you have your own audience, your own clients, and you're doing what you want to do? What does this feel like to be you right now? It feels so exciting. I'm like so excited and I'll tell you a story because I think that this is actually pretty important. This is when I realized like, okay. So Kate, I had left my job at Kate and with Kate and I was like, okay, well now what? Um, And I would text her occasionally like, I still don't know what to do. (laughs) She would be like, you'll be fine. It's going to be good, you know? And so I was watching as, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I had come up with, you know, I, I was watching as everybody was starting to take off. Like they had been working for 10 years. They had been doing the things. Their businesses were starting to get traction. And so I was on a call one day with my best friend, Gina Gomez, and she was, you know, I had been helping her over the summer with copy and things like that. And, you know, she was doing some business strategy and I looked at her and she was like, okay, here's the trajectory. And she had, you know, hired somebody and things were going. And I thought to myself, everybody is on their way. And I'm going to be the girl at the reunion who did nothing. Which wouldn't have been true at all. No, this is but what I was think coming like, up for you. It was yeah. what was coming up for me. And I was like, 
I need to get it together. And she was like, you're going to get it together. Like she, like the best cheerleader. And I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And I, it like came to me in a flash and I was like, Gina, I think I'm going to, I think I'm supposed to have a copywriting business. And she looked at me and she goes, welcome to your life, Morelli. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it was just this pinnacle moment that I needed to see it for myself. I yeah. needed to see that I could do it for me. Um, you know, I, I needed to be confident in my worth and what I could offer. And so it was just a really fun moment to be like, okay, I'm getting on the train too. I'm going to do this. And, and it took off. It just took off. And again, it goes back to that. If something comes easily and there's people that show up for it easily, it's probably what you should be doing. <laughs> I do have a question for you because you are known for your mailing list. Can you give us just like three quick pieces of advice on keeping a mailing list engaged on keeping your people engaged with your emails? Yes. So, okay. Mailing list. I love this question because mailing list feels so much. It goes back to that pen pal feeling, you know, that I had with my friends while I was sick of like, I want this to still feel like it's, a letter to you, right? And if you email me, I email you back because it's a conversation. And if you took the time to say something, I want to respond. So what I always tell people is start as you mean to go on, right? If you want your newsletter to feel like it's a letter and that people will write back to, like kind of consider how you want that to sound. You want it to sound like you're, you're just writing to your friends, right? Even though it's a group of friends and they know that you just want the tone and the structure to be that if you want it to be a newsletter where you have like a lot going on, that's another thing entirely. It's just start as you mean to go on. If you want the newsletter with the design and all of that, great, do that. But if you want your newsletter to always feel like it's a letter letter, start with just plain text emails and keep up with it. And then write to people consistently. Do what you're going to say you're going to do. So for me, I started my newsletter list when I was really in a place of not knowing what to do. So this was like before now and, you know, over the last year and a half, I, I wrote myself into my work. I started my newsletter letting people know that I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to send some moon ceremonies and I was going to think about the world and that's what they were signing up for. And so people started to come. And so one thing you can do is if you're kind of stuck on what to do, just know that you're going to write yourself into your success, right? Just give yourself time and patience, but be consistent in that writing. Write weekly if you're going to write weekly. Write monthly if you're going to write monthly. But do what you say you're going to do. And then finally, as you're growing your list, you know, a lot of people early on, you know, you're trying to get to that thousand mark of newsletter subscribers. Engage your people. You're going to build customer relationships with these people. So if they write to you or they respond to an email, write back. Start engaging them because they're going to tell somebody else about your email and it slowly will build. So what I always tell people is if you're under the thousand mark or even at the thousand mark, engage your list as you would a letter. And I think the bigger it gets, then you build infrastructure to make sure that somebody is responding to the responses, right? It just, yeah. you just have to build that out. But for me, creating community came through 
my newsletter and I really wanted people to feel seen and heard. And so I, I made that a tenant. I wanted to build those relationships with them and it worked and people are very loyal. I have a very high open rate. (laughs) Thank you so much for giving us that. So, uh, I want to ask you, what is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful businesswoman? Um, I think the biggest misconception is that I have a huge newsletter list. I think people think that I have a really big list. I don't. I have a really mighty small list. It's growing, and but it but it's more important for me to have a small list that's curated and engaged than it is to have a huge list that nobody really opens. And my goal is to grow that list that's curious and engaged and feels like community so that it is larger, but I want it to have that same sense of, of feeling engaged. Whereas I think a lot of people assume that I just have this giant, but I do not. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So what if you had the power to tell the whole world to do something and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would you tell the world to do? I would tell them to take one right action towards creating joy. Mm. Like what is one thing you can do today to give somebody else joy? And I think if we thought about, and I don't mean that in the like cheesy, you know, like create joy. I mean it like, think about how you might make somebody's day. If you say, you know, a deep sense of gratitude for something they did or acknowledge something that really helped you or bothered to reply when something went really well. I think if we can think about, you know, ways to engage each other that's joyful, think about the reverberation, you know, think about how, what a great mood you'd become in, you know, if somebody's like, you know, this went so well, you know, like whatever. And you're like, great. And then you see somebody and you're like, thank you so much. Like, it's just, a snowball effect. So that's what I would tell people. Find a way to give joy to somebody else today. I love it. Thank you so much. So how can people follow you and, and, and find you and be a part of your circle? So everybody can follow me. Um, at, well, first of all, sign up for my newsletter list if you want to get the weekly emails. And that's over at liciamorellywriter.com. Um, and then if you want to follow me, I'm over at Licia Morelli on Instagram and Licia Morelli on Facebook. Love it. Thank you so much, Licia. Thank you, Ina. It's, this has been excellent. I love this interview. I'm so excited to have been here. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. It got me really thinking about things in new ways. So I'm really grateful. Thank you for saying that, that, that gives me joy. So thank you so much for being here. A true pleasure for sure. Thank you. Hey there, Ina here. After this interview, you may be wondering, how can you learn from Licia's path to find her true business calling? But for you, I'm coming back in the next episode to teach you three things that Licia is doing very right in her business and you can start doing right now. And if you would like to leave a question for the Q&A segment of the companion episode, go to theglobalphenomenonpodcast.com, ask your question there, and I will answer it on the air. All right, see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Global Phenomenon with Ina Kobeny. Join the conversation inside the Facebook group at theglobalphenomenon.com slash Facebook. 
Listen to new interviews every Monday and learn with a companion episode every Thursday. This podcast was created by Ina Coveney, music by Jared LaBelle, and this was the voice of Kip Clark. 